Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Back Room. I'm Andy Ostroy. Very excited today to talk with Adam Frisch. Adam ran for the Colorado 3rd Congressional District seat that currently is held by Republican Lauren Boebert. He ran against her in the midterms uh, in 2022. He lost by just 546 votes. Thankfully, Adam has decided to run again in 2024. He is a local businessman, a family man, and spent eight years as a councilman. Adam, welcome into the back room. Good afternoon, morning, day, Andy. Yeah, you're you're so you're in Colorado, so it's it's a couple hours behind us. So and we do this early, so we appreciate you, you getting up early. Before we get into the the meat of the politics, we tr- what we try to do is give a little bit of an insight in the person that we're interviewing, uh, get a little window into the soul. So we have a couple of questions. One we ask up front. One we ask at the uh, end of the interview. But the first one is kind of silly, but it's, are you a dog or a cat person? Dog. Dog. Well, you we said got that. a bird dog. Uh-huh. We're not, we don't do much hunting, but I got Padme. She needs about four or five hours of exercise a day. Uh-huh. So I, I didn't grow up being a, a uh, dog person, but fully committed with the family now with the dog. Mm-hmm. Ha- has there ever been a cat in your life? No, there has not. No offense. There's and it sounds so like there never will be. Sounds like no, there's never going to be a cat in your life. I, I would, no, there's that's fair bet, fair bet, Andy. Where did you, where did you grow up? So it's interesting. I I, I was born uh, and spent my first five years on an Indian reservation in northeastern Montana. Both my parents are from northern Minnesota, but my dad went out to uh, the north. I would call it like the North Dakota Montana Canada border. Pretty cold, pretty rural, but. He wanted to get his hands um, in right away on the deep end of being in medicine. And there was an opening with the public health service out there in the late 60s. I'm 55. And so he uh, started working out there. Then he became an OBGYN back in, in mm-hmm. Minnesota. And so my first five years were out there. And two, two of my three sisters were born out there as well. And then I grew up in Minneapolis mm-hmm. from kindergarten through high school. And uh, my misspent youth was spent uh, ski racing. And that's how I ended up going out to the University of Colorado later on. Mm-hmm. I think the coldest day I ever spent in my life was the day I was in Minneapolis once. It's like uh, there, 25 I, I, I below zero or something, and yeah. I couldn't believe how cold it was. And I was like, people actually live here. And that's here. before the wind chill. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then, so you had a, a finance career in New York. I mean, you have a business background, right? Yeah. Yeah, I... I, I you know, I grew up ski racing, went out to the University of Colorado at Boulder to do some ski racing. I ended up, I got hurt a little bit and decided to stay for obvious reasons. Uh, Boulder is beautiful. The state of Colorado is beautiful. Obviously, um, I'm back in that state. I went out to New York City with a, one of my best buds I grew up with who was chasing a gal from college and started off waiting tables for about a year in New York City and kind of fell into finance and banking. And I worked on one of the first investment managements on kind of investing on a socially responsible investing fund. And then the heart of my time in New York City was involved in the currency markets, mm-hmm. uh, foreign exchange. I spent a lot of time actually in, in Asia, in the Middle East, uh, Latin America, and Africa. And there was about 200 currencies in the world, and I traded the 190 small ones. So it was fun. I was able to, I traveled the world. I was single. I was able to, you know, I'm, I was paid fairly well to kind of know what's going on in the world politically and economically at these places. Mm-hmm. And it was great fun. And I love my time in New York City, but ended up um going through a lot of 9-11 funerals and i happened to be on the top floor 100th floor of the world trade center in 1993 when the, that terrorist attack happened so 
I had a couple close calls and figured it'd be time to kind of head out west again and ended up meeting a gal in the western slope of Colorado whose name is Katie. Now we've been married for coming on 20 years and mm -hmm. we have a 15-year-old daughter and a 17-year-old son. Uh, she's a washed-up ski racer as well and a washed-up banker and we're making our lives in the mountains of Colorado. I spent eight years on the city council in my town of Aspen and she is currently finishing up her four-year run on as an elected member of our school board mm -hmm. in the school district. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned the World Trade Center thing. I, I read that you also finished the Boston Marathon about 20 minutes before the bombs went off. Yeah, I know. I try not to tell people you might want to stand too close to me. <laughs> That's, that was my yeah, first thought. Was, yeah, I think it was 2000. Travel with a bomb squad I, I, if you're I, hanging out with Adam. Yeah. Yeah, no, I hear you. Yeah, yeah I, I crossed, you know, I, I ran the Boston Marathon at about 3.15 or something like that. I can't remember what it was. Wow. The, uh, about 15 minutes before that, um, a bomb went off right at the finish line. And, you know, it definitely killed um, some amount of people. And, you know, it was kind of a convoluted uh, situation about what happened there. So, you know, I've had a couple of close calls in my life and I consider myself lucky. And, you know, when you when you have those kind of uh somewhat near misses, you start to make sure that your priorities are straight. And obviously family, number one, friends, number two, and making sure that, you know, there, there's places to give back when you can. And and my city council time was elected community service, as I called it. Um, this whole thing in Congress uh, attempt is a whole different ball of wax, but mm -hmm. I still look at it through that prism of just trying to help out. And it might sound hokey, but it's sincere. No, it, look, it, public service is a very noble thing for people to get involved in. Certainly, they don't do it for the money, although I think some people end up having done it for the money, yeah. as we know. So it, the race, which was a real heartbreaker, uh, it was for me. I can yeah. imagine how it was, was for you. But you lost by yeah. 546 votes. Mike, I got to ask, you know, Bober, Lauren Boebert is... She's crazy. She's evil. She's incompetent. She is not doing anything for her constituents. How did she, what went wrong in that campaign? How did she well, win? Well, I mean, again? I think we, we spent 98% of our time focused on the lap part that she's not focused on the district. She's focused on herself. We like her own antics how she does and what she says to kind of speak for itself. I think most people know that out there. You know, about a year and a half ago, Andy, I looked at some statistics from the 2020 election and saw that of all these extremists on the right, Jim Jordan, Matt Gates, Marjorie Taylor Greene, you know them, your, your listeners know them. They all had 65 to 75% wins in 2020. And Lauren Boebert only got 51% of the vote in 2020. To be fair to her, I guess, when we ran in 2022, the, the district had been uh, reshuffled. And it went from R5 to R10, which means theoretically the Republican cantaloupe was supposed to be the Democratic cantaloupe by 10 points. But I knew that uh, the view was, I think about 30 to 40% of the Republican Party wants their party back. People want the circus to stop. They want someone to focus on their district. And I thought that if a, you know, if a moderate slash conservative Democrat could get by the Democratic primary, which wouldn't be easy and it wasn't, I thought I could build a coalition. My mom calls it the pro-normal party coalition of Democrats, independents, and Republicans. Our district is less than a quarter Democrat, uh, about 31, 32% Republican, and uh, over 40% independent or unaffiliated, which I was for 20 years. And I just thought that if we just worked really, really hard, which we did, my son uh, 
is 17 years old. He was 16 at the time. He's a junior in high school. He took a year off from his high school to work in the campaign full time and go online school. And he and I had a 24,000 mile father son road trip. Mm -hmm. And we just drove all over. Our, our district is gigantic. It's half the state of Colorado. It's very, very rural. We have 27 counties. Uh, all the counties are rural. And we just, I just thought that people, again, especially the ranchers and farmers and small business owners in mostly small towns in Southern and Western Colorado, they, again, they just want the circus to stop and they want someone to focus on the job. And it was, it's very, very apparent that, that she's not focused on the job. And so that was our, that was our mantra then we, when we started and no, very, very few people believed us in the media. The Republicans thought we were a joke. A lot of Democrats thought we were a joke. But we just persevered, and I just knew in my heart that we could do it. And we ended up losing by 546 votes. So on one hand, uh, we had a moral victory. 538, the website that's very involved in, in numbers and statistics and politics, they had us losing by over 40,000 votes, and we lost by fewer than 550. Right. And I just think you know, computers don't tell the psychology of people who, again, they want the circus to stop, and they want someone to focus on their job, no matter how many reds or blues there are in a district mm -hmm. you know they're not red people blue people they're people and the conversations that they're having around their kitchen table literally and figuratively are not what the representative bobart has been spending time on since she became a national figure in 2020. but yet, yet there were still so many people that thought she should remain in office which is kind of I mean, I, I don't want to put you in a spot where you, you, you talk, you know, pejoratively or negatively about, about your constituents, which would obviously make a lot of sense. But it does speak to something, even a larger issue, not just Colorado's third, but just there's still, after everything we know, after all we've seen, there's still such a huge part of this population that thinks these people belong in office. Isn't that terrifying? Yeah, so I, you know, there's two buckets of conversation I, I, I responded back to on that, and it's a fair question. And I think one is the Democratic brand is incredibly damaged in, in rural Colorado and with working class uh, people across the country. Mm -hmm. And I spend a lot of time talking about this, and I, I try to tell uh, as many people that will listen when I'm in D.C. or down in Denver or on the district. Um, you know, Andy, there's about 3,150 counties in the country. 2,000 of those are deemed ruled by the Department of Ag on density population. Of those 2,000 counties, Bill Clinton in 1996 won more than half of these rural counties. Barack Obama in 2012 won 25% of them. And then Joe Biden, with due respect to President Biden, in 2020 won fewer than 10% of the rural counties in the country. And so I have this joke, which is sad but true, that the Democratic Party has kind of turned into 20 big cities, Aspen and Nantucket, like that's the only thing that's left of the heart of the Democratic Party. And it's to me, it's less about the issues that the Democratic Party have been working on that should help working class America, the unions, labor, and uh, rural America. Mm -hmm. But there have been some, there have been some Hall of Fame uh, foot and mouth comments from some important people that have come out over the past 10 or 15 years. You know, there was a comment from uh, someone running for president at the time, Barack Obama, who talked about, you know, these people clinging to their guns and religion. And that's that set off a lot of people. And with respect to Hillary Clinton, you know, she talked about either, you know, running the coal mining jobs out of business or shutting down the coal mines or we're going to get rid of coal mines. Right. And her her ultimate doozy was this basket of deplorables comment that she made. And, you know, and my view is before 
people can open up page 847 of a 2000 page tax bill and see these benefits are going to help them and their family and their community. They're going to hear um, their dignity challenged mm -hmm. and their way of life challenged, that they don't have enough education, that they happen to work in a natural gas um, field in Western Colorado, of which I'm pretty sure the workers there use a lot less energy per capita uh, than some of the most urban voters that um, are represented by some of these representatives that are calling for an end to coal and gas right away. Of course, there's a climate crisis going on. Of course, we need to continue to move over and make the transition, but we need to do it respectfully. And I mean that sincerely. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's a lot. That's that's a bucket of um, something that needs to happen. And I've joked or I've not joked and I'm not a political scientist. You know, those three or four comments and a couple others are, are have cost the Democrats 25 seats for 25 years. Mm -hmm. I, I really believe, um, you know, Felix and I met literally thousands of people in 800 person towns and small cafes, places like Nucla at the Fifth Street Cafe and talking to people and look, meeting plumbers and electricians that were making 60 bucks an hour and now they're making 17 bucks an hour and they don't need job training because they're doing the same type of skill uh, of being a plumber or electrician uh, or master mechanic. And, and that shift has not set the Democratic Party up well, not from a policy standpoint, but from how do you talk to people on a basic level. Mm -hmm. uh, and until that changes, it's going to be really, really hard to get people uh, to switch or move over. Or even as I asked them, like, you don't even need to switch parties. Just think about your family and your business mm -hmm. and yourself at this part of the district. Um, and so that's, that's something's out there that, that, and I, I would call that right, rightful resentment, frustration about that. Yeah. And, I mean, look, it's, um, it's unfathomable that the, it's unfathomable that the Democratic Party lost the white working class because there's nothing that the Republican Party stands for or has legislated ever that uh, supports the white working class. But you, what you're saying is 100 yeah. percent true. And if you combine that with the culture wars, the, it's like a witch's brew. It, it creates this landscape where the white working class is like, you know, they believe that the Democratic Party looks down on me, is arrogant, they don't care about me, and they want to put cat litter in my kid's bathroom at school. And 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 how do you yeah. fight that? Yeah, because again, it's but... messaging that's, that works really well for the Republicans, and it's apparently been very harmful to Democrats. Very. Uh, you know, again, I, I mentioned before, I think 30 to 40% of the Republican Party wants their party back. I, I can have conversations with those men and women and families. And mm -hmm. those are the conversations that I have. They're at the Chamber of Commerce as their civic leaders mm -hmm. in the community. Um, you know, the the cultural warriors are people I'm not going to be able to relate to and I don't spend any time talking to. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, when you're in a district that's 24% Democrat, you don't want to spend time on Team Red or Team Blue. It is it is Team America, which is 70%, and, uh, and, and extremism, which is 30%. And, you know, we're building a tripartisan Team America uh, coalition. And we did, you know, that was a plan from day one. And we came about 99.85% of the way there. Mm -hmm. We lost by 0.16% of the vote. Uh, five, 5,000 some odd numbers that were cast. Mm -hmm. And so on one hand, we had a huge moral victory. On the other hand, we want to have a victory, victory, make sure someone is sitting in that Colorado's third district seat that actually focuses on the job. Mm -hmm. and, so when when you're again, out talking, 
when you're out talking to what, and, and I read that you sometimes refer to it as your tripartisan coalition, when you're out talking to the, the moderate Republicans and the independents, and even Democrats, what are the issues that you talk to them about that you think Republicans are not talking to them about, that Boebert certainly isn't serving them on, that helps you pick up just a small percent of that 40? You know, if you just get a few percentage points, right? I mean, people talk about, you know, moderates and independents, but it's all you need, all any Democrat needs is just a few points of those people combined with their own constituents to, to have victory. So what do you say to those people? What, what are the issues most important to you that you believe are most important to them in, in Colorado 3? No, and we stuck to the issues, and she's not focused on it. You know, the, the, the big issue is that she's not focused on the job, and she's leading this circus. She's leaving this angertainment industry of politics. Mm -hmm. That's the top-line issues. The, the number one issue in, in Western and Southern Colorado, and has been for a long time, uh, and national people might underappreciate that, is just water. Uh, the lack of availability of water for ranchers and farmers and recreation and conservationists. And and everyone in Western and Southern Colorado are on, is on that. And water does not run red or blue. And so that's a pure competency question and who wants to focus on it, as opposed to focusing on the goblins and ghosts committees of the oversight committee or wherever else Bobart and some and Matt Gates are, are chasing up. And the rural aspects of health care, the rural aspects of education, mm -hmm. You know, in addition to some of those national issues about in, in prices are too high mm -hmm. and, and safety even in some of these small towns. But we really focus on the things that are specific to CD3. And again, it's water. It's, it's making sure that we have a healthy domestic energy production as we as we migrate over um, to cleaner fuels. But, you know, we produce the cleanest coal. We produce the cleanest solar. We produce the cleanest wind uh, and hydro. And so we need all of the above uh, in this part of the district. So. Those are the issues that resonate with a lot of people. And I, I ask the, you know, the people I'm talking to, left, right, and center, who do you want representing you, your family, your business, and your community? And I don't care how you voted in 2016. I don't really care who you vote for on the ballot, uh, up and down the ballot. I just ask you to think about your representative. Who do you want fighting uh, and advocating on behalf of those constituents of yourself and your family um, in Colorado, mm -hmm. uh, on, on behalf of Colorado while you're in D.C.? How do you, that do resonates. you how do you address the turnout situation? Democrats came out less than Republicans. Uh, turnout is everything. How do you get the vote out so that this time yeah. you win? Yeah. So it, it, last time, you know, I think you know, sadly, if we would have run the race a week later, we probably would have won by a couple thousand votes. There were a bunch of moderate Republicans that never voted for a non-Republican before that left a blank because they thought we were going to lose by a lot and just they didn't vote for her because they don't care for her and they left a blank that undervoting happened a lot but we also had a bunch of very liberal democrats that also thought we didn't have a chance and thought i was too moderate too conservative and they left it home blank and they felt bad about that as well and so we expect going into 2024 there's going to be 30 percent more people voting on um on whole especially in colorado we expect the demo we expect we expect the Democratic pri uh, the Democratic voters' roles to go up more than the Republican votes in Colorado. Having said that, we still need to build a, a coalition of this tripartisanship. And because there's just not enough Democrats, no matter what the turnout is, we're going to have to continue to build this coalition. But we, you know, there's obviously going to be one third more people voting, and that's going to require just more driving of miles, more fundraising to make sure that 
we can get our message out next summer and fall on the airwaves and via social media. I mean, the conventional wisdom would sort of dictate that because you came so close and that things are only getting worse nationally with the Republican Party, Boebert's not changing. She's only getting more radicalized and more ineffective and incompetent, that if you do keep doing what you've done before and build on that and expand your coalition, that the momentum should be with you, that you should win this time because there's nothing that your opponent is going to do to help her cause and her party is not going to do anything. In fact, they're going to do everything humanly possible to make at least 547 more people say it's time for Adam Frisch. Is that, is that, is that reality? Is that naive to think that the momentum, you got that close, this time you're going to win? Yeah, you know, so one of the reasons we decided to get back in this race officially so soon is that we had a lot of great momentum. And I spent December and January driving around the state, listening to farmers and ranchers. And to them, they're really disappointed, even those that voted for her, that she didn't learn her lesson. No lack of humility, you know, no showing of humility about having almost the most embarrassing loss in 20 years anywhere in the country. And that she's, again, not focused on the job. She should be getting on the water, she should be getting on the agricultural committee, which is really important to our district. Instead of that, she used whatever political capital she earned during the whole circus that first week and wanted to use her chits to get on the oversight committee, which nobody in CD3 cares about. It's water, ranching, farming, mm -hmm. ag, domestic energy, trying to tackle inflation and chasing up someone's, you know, yelling at Twitter executives about why they don't have more followers in their in their personal account mm -hmm. is not helping anyone in the district. So we didn't want to make this a surprise election. We did make it a surprise election last year. They'll obviously take us seriously. Everyone has taken us seriously in that race. So we are going to have a hard journey ahead of us, but we like where we are. And again, we still think our overall theme, she's not focused on the job and people want the circus to stop. And I'm a safe, trusted hand that can represent everybody, not just ours, not just these. That's the theme that we think is going to lead us to success. We needed, you know, the data showed we needed about two more weeks of the campaign and we probably would have won. Mm -hmm. And so we're just going to kind of continue that on and also have a longer time to tell a story about why people should be voting for us and not just against her. There's obviously a lot of reasons to vote against her, but we want to tell a positive story about what I'm focused on, right. what I want to do, mm -hmm. where my interests are. And we think that's going to be very receptive to a lot of people, regardless of party affiliation. Mm -hmm. After you announced again, you had a you saw a big spike in fundraising. How how has fundraising been going in the last few weeks overall? Yeah, so we just you know we literally started about two and a half weeks ago. We raised over a quarter million dollars in the first twenty four hours, five hundred thousand dollars. We're up at we're over eight hundred thousand dollars in fundraising already as we sit here at the end of the week on Friday, and we're excited about we're excited about that. We think you know I don't say this with pride because I don't like the money in politics with sincerity, but. Mm -hmm. It's a necessary evil to make sure we get our message out. And, you know, she's going to have a lot of support from the national party and we'll continue to generate our money. And we've had, you know, we've, we got donations the first day from 50 different states and all 27 our counties. There's a lot of people around the country that want to see her gone. But most importantly, I'm just continually focused on the men and the women and the families in the business of Western and Southern Colorado. So we're off to a good start. Sadly, we always need more uh, resources to, um, you know, to have this journey to, to see Lauren Boebert defeated. But we like our momentum and our path forward.
She's considered to, to be one of the most, if not the most vulnerable member of the House going into 24. Do you think that's going to help you attract more support from the party, the DNC, the PACs? I know you had some support from the PACs because money, you know, it is an evil, but it's a necessary evil. Yeah. So we, we don't, we're not taking any corporate PAC money. Uh, we never have, and we're not planning, we were not, mm -hmm. and we're not doing it this cycle. But there has been support from issue um, organizations that have been helpful for us. And yeah, no, we tried to tell a bunch of people last year that we really do have a chance. And, you know, sadly, I don't say this with pride, we're the only ones that have any chance of defeating an extremist. If you look at with all due respect, whoever's going to run against Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates and Jim Jordan and Paul Gosar and Andy Biggs, none of them have any chance of losing. And so not to deflate a wider movement, but we're just really focused on this district. And we think that we have the only place where we're going to have a really great emotional win for the country, not just a real win. And so there's a lot of awareness about how well we did. And there's a lot of support across the country. And obviously, you know, when you get 49.85% of them in a district that's 24% D, by definition, we we truly built a tripartisan coalition. And we're seeing that in the support as well as in the votes. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I am a big fan, big supporter, and will continue to do so. I, I will do move mountains if I can to get you elected and her out of office. And I think a lot of people feel the same way. Is there a, a website that people can go to if they want to learn more about uh, Adam Frisch and part with some of their cash? Yeah, no, there's a couple of things. Thanks, Andy. Adamforcolorado.com, F-O-R-A-D-A-M-F-O-R Colorado.com is our website and our portal. And so there's a donate button somewhere up in the top right, probably. So click that. Literally the $5 and $10 mm -hmm. are fantastic. And the 25s up to the, you know, there's you can donate a couple thousand bucks or more. But, you know, the breadth of support is important as the depth of any individual contribution. There's also a button up there to help us to volunteer. We had, mm -hmm. we had people trying to help us all through the cycle from literally around the country. This is a national race. I don't say that with pride. Again, I'm laser focused on the issues that affect Western and Southern Colorado. Having said that, there's a lot of people around the country that are in a lot of um, safe districts that have the time and the money to kind of move their uh, resources, again, time or money elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And we've been a great, uh, we've been, people have been very, very generous with that. So please sign up for our emails, our webs, our, our, our web updates, and we'll, we'll stay in touch with you and figure out how to help us uh, defeat a true extremist. And sadly, the only one that has any chance of losing in the 24 cycle. Mm -hmm. And you seem like a, a, a pretty scandal-free guy from what I, I have been able to read. I just want to make sure there's no videotapes out there of you like calling up the election officials and saying, I just need to find 547 votes, which is one more than what we had. Yeah. Like, there's not going to be anything like that that comes forward. No, listen, we got fleshed out last year. You know, I'll talk about a, a, the low part and then a the high part. The low part was, that, you know, she came up with some cockamamie um, accusations of an affair and blackmail and da da, da 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 but I'm not sure if it helped or hurt her in this whole thing. So she got very, very desperate as we started to get very, very close. So that's all been fleshed out. Uh, you know, I, I assume there's going to be more lies made up about us, about me, and we'll just have to deal with that. That's one of the things that we had a long conversation with my wife and our two kids mm -hmm. uh, about that, but everyone agreed that we thought it was really important for us to kind of go forward at the start of this, knowing there was going to be something coming. Uh, on the opposite scandal, at the end of the race last year, it was the Friday after the week, you know, 10 days later after campaign, we conceded when, when we were down by 550 votes because we just knew the election laws of Colorado were locked in. Mm -hmm. And there were some people that were frustrated about that, but it, it proved our point. 
they recounted 300,000 ballots and four votes changed. Right. Um, but we told people at that time that Friday afternoon to keep your money. You know, we had we had a couple hundred thousand bucks in the bank to fight elections. Um, people started to try to raise money off of us. Lauren Boebert wanted to raise a bunch of money that she did not need for this this recount either. Mm -hmm. And I told people as we enter the holiday seasons, keep that money for your family. We'll, if we run again, we'll come back and have a longer conversation about that. And that received a lot of support. It was not any type of political ploy. It was just what we believed, and that's how I run. And that earned us a lot of kudos from a lot of people, including mm -hmm. a lot of Republicans emailed me all over the country and said, I can't believe anybody running for office would ever turn down money and, and, and told people to just keep it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there's a, there's more than enough money in politics to get the job done and, and then some. Mm -hmm. And so when we need the money, we ask for it. When we don't need the money, we don't ask for it. My last question. But now we need the money. Well, hopefully people are going to listen to this podcast and send some sense. Some, and I know there's people in New York and other places around the country that really support you and want to see you defeat her. My last question is another window into the soul type question. Music is an important part of people's lives and a good window into the soul. So I want to know who are your top five musical artists of all time? Yeah. You know, uh, you know, listen, if I could, if I could drop out of life and just follow Bob Dylan around, uh, around the world, around the country, I, I would do that. My fellow Minnesotan, I've seen him perform 40 or 50 times in probably 50 Bobby Z. states. And mm -hmm. Yeah, I love lyrics. I love words. Um, there's a Churchill conversation to be had about that later on. But uh, I spent a, a good amount of my time from that standpoint. Uh, you know, I think I love my time with Neil Young uh, on the radio as well and, and on my and on my headphones. Uh, traffic and Blind Faith, mm -hmm. uh, going back a little bit. But as far as my favorite group, it, it's a combination of those two for those that you probably know, you know, there's obviously a lot of intersectionality between Stevie Winwood and Ginger Baker and that whole crowd. Mm -hmm. uh, and then listen to Williams. I am a huge Lucinda fan. Um, I think um, Wheels on a Gravel Road is, is one of the top albums uh, of all time. And I love her career and I've had a chance to see her a couple of times. So I, I think those rounded up. Uh, I should probably listen to some new music that my kids are listening to, but nah. I am. I am stuck with, you know, the amount of artistic inspiration that happened in the 60s and 70s to me still rocks hard. And I I'm just love that music. one million percent with you on that. So we'll end on that. Adam, you've been very generous, generous with your time. We wish you a lot of luck in the campaign. Hopefully you'll come again soon and give us an update on how things are going. And I appreciate you spending some time with us today. Thanks, Andy. Love your podcast and love the exposure that we're able to come in here and, and share some of our journey. So you stay healthy and safe and we'll stay in touch. You too, man. Take care. That's episode 49. If you like what you've been hearing, and even if you don't, let us know. We appreciate the feedback. You can leave us a message at 845-307-7446, email us at backroomandy at gmail.com, or tweet to me at Andy Ostroy. And when you listen, please take a moment to rate and review. Those things are very helpful. I want to thank my co-producer, engineer, and editor, Maddie Rosenberg, associate producer, Jen Hamoud, Cricket Langell for our artwork, Andy Hollander for our kick-ass music, Patricia Wind and the Epicurean for the Backroom Studio, and a big thank you again to our guest, Adam Frisch. So keep your eyes on Washington, Hollywood, and your own backyards, and we hope you'll join us again next time. Have a great week.